Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this opportunity that we could still hear from your word and uh, learn from your word, Lord God. I pray that your presence be felt and known in every location that's watching this right now. Lord God, I pray your healing hands would fall on everybody in this location watching you right now, Lord God, and uh, wherever they're at, Lord Jesus. I pray that your presence uh, be so strong in this season of our lives, Lord God, that you would be undeniable to those who don't don't believe and that there would be a great revival uh, of people coming to know you as their Lord and Savior uh, because of the season we're in, Lord. In your holy name, amen. 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 So let's get right into it. Uh, we're in the book of Acts right now, chapter 26, starting in verse 19. It says this, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do work befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said, with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since these things were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice, and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing worthy of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if, not, uh, that he, had, if he had not appealed to Caesar. So right now, on Wednesday nights, we've been going through the book of Acts. We'll be going through the book of Acts for a couple more months. And then, it looks like we'll be starting a new book after that. So stay tuned. But let me give you the previously on. So previously in the book of Acts, uh, we have the Apostle Paul. He had been a Jewish Pharisee and led the charge of persecuting Christians. Then he became radically saved because he met Jesus face to face on the road and given uh, the mission by Jesus to preach the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. It wasn't long ago, it was actually a few weeks if we're talking about preaching, but it wasn't long ago for him uh, that when he was in Jerusalem, Paul was seized by an angry Jewish mob that wanted to kill him, accusing him of teaching against the laws of Moses. That's why he's captive right now. 
The Pharisees were mad that he taught salvation was also for the Gentiles, and the Sadducees were mad that he taught that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Both of these things are key points of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> these, are, these are foundational to the gospel, but he's making everybody mad over it. So Paul was arrested, um, from the, saved from the Jewish mob, really, and arrested and taken into custody by Roman soldiers, really mostly for his own protection. Uh, because if they didn't arrest him, the crowd was going to tear him apart. Um, even though they couldn't find anything, any laws he had broken or anything he had really done wrong, he still stayed captive with them for over two years. So from the time that the Jews rioted and tried to rip him apart and the, and the Romans uh, arrested him and took him uh, into captivity, uh, till now, and these scriptures we're currently reading, is over two years. He's been in this thing. He now finds himself sharing his testimony in front of the king of Judea, King Agrippa, and a room full of the most influential people in Caesarea and the surrounding areas. That's an interesting progression, going from being a nobody that all the Jews hate to sitting in a room full of all the most powerful people there are in the area, telling them about Jesus Christ and the gospel. So the first point tonight is this. Fear did not stop Paul from being obedient. Fear didn't stop Paul from being obedient. Uh, if we look at the verses just prior to the verses I read you tonight, we find out uh, what Paul was talking about here in Acts 26, 15 through 19. It says this, So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of things which you have seen and of things which you will, I have yet to reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you. To open their eyes in order to turn them away from, dark, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Paul was obedient to what Jesus had called him to, but look where it has gotten him. He's standing trial, falsely accused before the Gentiles with the power to kill him. And the Jews lying in wait to kill him if he's released. We've just read in the previous chapters that the Jews are literally lying in wait for the moment Paul is released to freedom so that they can murder him. But Paul is currently sitting in front of an unsympathetic crowd that doesn't believe in Jesus, of the, the Romans, who have the ability and the authority at their word just to kill him. If King Agrippa decides that Paul was trying to create the riot, they could just have him killed. This is a tough spot, right? So Jesus told you that you were going to be protected from the Jews and the Gentiles. And right now, you're standing basically in the middle between possibly getting killed by the Jews or possibly getting killed by the Gentiles. So it's a tough spot to be in. Um, I get it though, man. And uh, I'll tell you something about me. Um, I was in the Marine Corps um, for four years. Yeah. Um, you know, here's the thing. is Somebody could be watching this that doesn't know me. 
So if I don't say these things, I just start talking about stuff, then people are like, what the heck was he talking about? I was like, oh, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Well, somebody might not know what I'm talking about, so I just got to set it up. So I was in the Marine Corps. Of course, that was like 20 years ago. But nonetheless, it's the same Marine Corps. Um, and so uh, I developed this, I guess I would call it like a fear of leadership um, because I don't like being around the people who have the power to squash me and make my life miserable. So let me tell you a story that I will never forget. When I was at boot camp, uh, you start off, everything's crazy. Um, they're, they create a sense of chaos around you intentionally uh, so that you will learn how to thrive under stress and pressure, which turns out right now as a firefighter, pretty handy skill to have. Um, but there's three phases, and in the middle of boot camp, we're out um, doing uh, field stuff. We're out there uh, camping out in the field and doing like combat stuff out there and practicing that kind of stuff. So now you're in the middle of boot camp. You've been living under this tyranny uh, for several weeks, and so you're getting kind of used to the flow and, and how they talk and, and the aggression and all those, the threats, the constant threats of punishment. And so I remember feeling pretty good, like I'm really starting to get the hang of this thing. Uh, I'm really starting to feel like I belong to this organization that I've essentially given my life over to. They really own you when you go to the military, and you learn that day one, that you are owned wholly and completely. It's a vulnerable position to be in. And I remember one of the drill instructors came over to the area we're in. Now, me and my partner, listen, I'm not a camper. And so if they said, uh, set up your sleeping bag in the back of a station wagon, I would have been like, done. But they're like, set up this tent with a partner that you're going to sleep in outside. I'm like, okay. But me and my partner figured it out. We got our setup. Everything was perfect. We turned around and started helping other people set their, uh, theirs up. Everything seems to be going well, in my opinion. People are working together. The attitude's good. This drill instructor comes over to the group, and he says, I need seven people right now who are done with what they're doing. I need them to come over here right now. I need seven people. And the thought in my brain was, I'm there for him. We're done, me and my partner. We're just helping others now. So if, if my supreme leader needs help, I'm going to go help them. And so we stepped up, and I, I think I actually patted my partner and said, hey, come on, the drill instructor needs us. And we walked over there, and he said, ow, so you're all done, right? You're done, and everybody else is still working, but you're done. And then he smoked us for 45 minutes. That's before uh, we sat down and had lunch, and then they took all the good stuff out of our MREs. The point I'm trying to make is, I don't know what he was thinking, but I'll tell you the reaction. Is he created somebody who will always be afraid of the people who have the power to punish him. That's what he created. So that's, I, I understand, I'm sitting here listening to Paul. He's in front of uh, the most powerful people in the area. The power, uh, the people who literally have his life in their hands. And he's boldly, respectfully, and confidently telling them about the gospel. That's a tough one, man. Uh, but let me tell you what else. So I'm a firefighter now. And um, so... Uh, you know, for a long time in my career as a firefighter, I really wanted to keep my life 
my, my life is separate. So I had church life, I'm at church. Not that I was a different person, just that it really wasn't a lot of crossover. Because the more crossover you have, the more sticky situation gets. And when you're a people pleaser and you don't want to upset people and there's lots of people around who have the power to punish you, the, more, the less people know about you, the better. That's, I'm just saying, that's, it's a learned behavior. I know it's a defense mechanism. I'm pretty much over it now. But, nonetheless, so I'm standing in the kitchen and, uh, of, of the headquarters station, getting a cup of coffee in the afternoon, and who walks in? The, basically, the King Agrippa and Governor Festus of the fire department, the fire chief and the deputy chief, walk in together to get a cup of coffee from the kitchen. And so I'm like, wow, this is happening. And the fire chief says to me, hey... I heard that you're a pastor. Where are you a pastor at? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is all just going to happen right now. <laughs> and so, but I just gave myself over to the moment and I, and I talked to them. And this was a couple weeks before a, an Easter service. And so I said, hey, in a couple weeks it's Easter. If you want to come out, blah, blah, blah. And now they come to our church. I'm not going to point them out to you, who, what they look like or anything. It's, it's up to you to get to know them. But the reality is, is that because I was uh, bold enough at some point in my career to let people understand that I was a pastor, then all of a sudden I have the most powerful people in the fire department find that out. And then next thing you know, they're going to church. I mean, they're believers, they love the Lord, but, but the fact is, is that, you know, when you come from a, a different area into our area and you're looking for a place to put down roots, it's good to know that people are out there. So what would have happened if I, if I wasn't honest about that, if I had just kind of avoided leadership some more? Maybe not. Maybe that wouldn't have happened. I got burned out before. I got burned. Uh, I got hurt. But sometimes you just got to get over the hurt and move forward with the ministry that God's got for you. I can't continue to be afraid of, of the people with the power. I look at Paul here and I see his example. And he experienced significant hardship before this day. I mean, read the book of Acts. I, I, don't, know, I don't know at what point from Paul's conversion on that he didn't experience significant hardship. But he held to the words of Jesus that said, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to whom he's now standing in front of. You have a word from the Lord too. If we look at Luke chapter 12 verse 4, Jesus says this, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after have no more that they can do. Just like Paul, Jesus has given you the ability to share the gospel and your testimony with both small and great. Don't be afraid to uh, be committed to your Christian faith in public. Don't be afraid to do it. You have no reason to be afraid of that. Psalms chapter 56 verse 11 says, In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? My second point is this. Paul's crazy talk almost worked. In verse 24, it says this. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning has driven you mad. He's saying, listen, man, you are crazy right now <laughs> that you are doing this. I mean, I could just imagine this. They have this. I mean, the king and Governor Festus 
must be so used to having people stand in front of them that are petrified in fear, willing to say and do anything just to get out of trouble. And now they have Paul there saying, hey, I know you know what's going on here. I know nothing escapes your, your mind. Uh, telling them about Jesus, telling them about what's going on, and they're like, bro, you are crazy. <laughs> You've gone crazy right now. It's pretty insulting, really. I mean, I mean, I, I imagine Paul's frustration going from uh, being out on the street, essentially, uh, just doing his ministry, to being falsely imprisoned, to being strung along for a couple years, to now finally being in front of another leader that he's telling the truth to, and now he's getting told that he's just plain crazy. Probably felt insulted. He doesn't appear to be offended. He's certainly not deterred from what he's doing. He's quite persistent in his faith. Christianity is countercultural, if you haven't figured that out already. It's common to get pushback from people when they make life decisions. When, it's common to get pushback from people when you make life decisions that they don't agree with or understand. You make decisions based on your beliefs. They conflict with the cultural norms. You're going to get a lot of pushback. I, I don't think I've seen this any more than when I was vegan for a year. I cannot believe it. Yeah, I stopped eating meat for a year. No meat, no dairy, no animal products. Um, I had had a back injury. I was trying to get back in shape. I was trying, I said, no better time to try it than now. Uh, and so I started doing it. Now, I wasn't vegan in the terms of like uh, politically motivated, you can't even eat honey, like protesting vegan. I just was a guy who didn't eat any meat or animal products. I wasn't telling anybody else they didn't have to eat any meat, didn't have to eat any meat or animal products. I was just doing it. What I couldn't understand is why people cared so much about what I was, what I was eating. I felt good. I felt healthy. All my numbers were great. But people seemed to be so offended and riled up that I wasn't going to eat meat. I didn't understand it. But this is the kind of thing that happens when you're open about your Christian faith. You're healthy, you're getting good results, but people still want to criticize it and try to remind you of what you're missing out on. I can't tell you how many times people were pushing meat on me. Oh, just have some of this. Have some of this cake. It's so good. You can have just some right now. It's a little. You're going to die if you don't eat meat. This is ridiculous for you. You need to eat this meat right now. But instead of meat, add sin. What if you try to cut sin out of your life as a Christian and people are like, you don't know what you're missing. How could you do this? Do you not understand? That's ridiculous. You can't survive without that sin or this sin. The reason is that you changing your life takes away their excuses for not changing theirs. You can't not change your life because other people get sad and offended and worked up because they're not willing to change theirs. You show it that it's possible to live for Jesus and not compromise your values to fit the culture. And that's exactly what Paul's doing in this in situation. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. People don't get it. It, it, it frustrates them. They see you changing your life. They probably see good things happening in your life. 
And they just can't fathom the, the wisdom of those kind of things. So it creates this big uh, conflict. But Paul says to King Agrippa, he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. We saw a verse earlier, um, I think it was in chapter 24, where it said that King Agrippa was learned in, in, in the, uh, the spiritual things. He was well aware of the way. And I think I preached a, a little while back about the fact that he knew what was going on. And what he was hearing about Paul was uh, not something new, foreign, like, wow, I've never heard this before. Tell me that story again. It was like, no, he's well aware of what's going on. And Paul is aware that King Agrippa is aware of what's going on here. And so he challenges him. He challenges him and says, hey, do you believe? He says, do you believe in the prophets? To me, it's almost like a rhetorical question. Do you believe in the prophets? I know that you do. Which is pretty bold. Paul didn't miss his opportunity to push, push the king to a decision. Here's the thing that uh, I've learned about sales, and this is why I'm not good at sales. <laughs> is that if you're going to get the sale, you have to ask for the sale. You can't just like, hey, look at this beautiful tires. I guess I worked at a tire store. Maybe that's my frame of reference. Here's this beautiful tire. These tires are great. Great mileage. They would be perfect on a car like yours. Yeah, you know, people who buy these tires are really happy. And people are like, yeah, whatever. That's great. You have to say, do you want to buy these tires? Right. <laughs> when you ask for the sale. And the same thing kind of goes when we're talking about evangelism. So often my evangelism has been soft, presumptive. Make sure I don't offend anybody. I fail to ask the most challenging question. Will you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I'll tell you all about Jesus. I'll set the stage, tell you how he's affected my life, tell you how things could go better for you, tell you what the Bible says about what happens later, but never come around to just saying, make your decision. What are you going to do about this information that I've just given you? Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew and also for the Greek. Now if you believe that that's true that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes then you're not selling them tires. You're trying to convince them and help them understand that their whole life could be saved. Like standing on a bridge with someone really ready to jump and just standing there like, you know, they're selling good tacos down the street. Yeah, you know, living's pretty nice. No, you grab them and say, you want to live. Let me pull you back from the edge of destruction. I remember a while back, it was uh, sometime in the last several years. Time, the older you get, the faster time goes. And so sometimes I, I say, oh yeah, just, uh, just before, and it's like five years ago. So I don't exactly know when this was, but it was sometime over the recent memory. Um, uh, a, a wife had called uh, Shelly and said, hey, the, her husband was dying of cancer. And she called Shelly and said, hey, uh, can Jay come over and talk to him because I think the time is, is near. So this deathbed stuff now, okay? So if there's a, an, um, uh, uh, an emergency moment for pastors, it's this. It's like the red phone just rang. You pick it up. They're like, we need you right now, stat, you know? So you go, so I went over there. And I'm talking to this guy, and, um, and we're just kind of, you know, I'm kind of pushing a little bit. And, and honest, if I'm being honest, what I was really hoping is to just get him to say the words. If I could just get him to say the words, check the box, 
did our job. I just need to get him to say, yes, I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Then we're done. It's uncomfortable. I don't know how many people have sat there and talked to somebody when you know they're going to die and they seem fairly clear that they're not going to. Like, are you not aware of the situation you're currently in right now? Because everybody else is aware of it. And that was the situation. He didn't seem to want to accept the fact that this was, this was going to happen. So I didn't want to push too hard. I didn't want to offend him. Uh, I'm trying to get him to say the word so then I can at least feel a little guilt-free when I walk away from this thing. That at least he said it out loud that he believes Jesus is his Lord and Savior. And I'm angling. And I'm angling. And finally he goes, Jay, why are you even here? Why now? Why are you here right now? I, I, I don't understand. Because I'm pushing. I'm, 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 I'm trying to it coax it out of him, you know? And like a game show. Like, uh, how about this question? What can I get out? And he's like, well, basically, what are we doing here? Like, why are you here? Good time to tell him the truth, right? <laughs> nah. Well, uh, because everybody needs um, the Lord in their life. Uh, before one day that they pass away. Um, so I'm just here because um, I care. And I know that one day uh, you may pass. Oh my gosh. It's like seriously what I should have said is I'm here because you're going to die very, very soon. And I need to know that you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And if he's not, I'm going to spend my time convincing you. That's what I should have said. It's a now or never moment, but I didn't do that. I said, well, you know, uh, you know, everybody needs to, you know, accept the Lord. And um, so I went gentle. I kind of let it go. In my mind, I'm like, he goes, you know, I just, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really believe it. I, I just have trouble believing that uh, it all rests on one man. And, and uh, so I'm like, wow, okay. So I thought, okay, uh, he's clearly agitated. Um, he's not saying the words I need him to say so I can feel better about myself. So I'm just going to regroup and I'll just come back tomorrow and we'll start again. And then he died that night. So I missed an opportunity that night. But, but really, I missed the opportunity every day I spoke to him for that whole year. You remember when Sean Alexander uh, was on the Seahawks? That was a long time ago. It's like 2006, I think. So there was this one season where Sean Alexander, he was, this, he was a really good running back, no relation. Um, he was a really good running back. And this one year, and no joke, these, sometimes these things are just like a theme from a movie. No joke. We're at the very end of the season. There's probably about a, one play left or so. The Seahawks are on the one-yard line. He is tied for the rushing record for the, for the whole season uh, rushing championship title. Most rushing yards for the whole season. He needs this one yard to be the rushing champion for this season. And the Seahawks, because they're brilliant, ran a pass play on the one yard line. Everybody thinks he's going to run, so they ran a pass play. They got the touchdown. 50-50 for them. I mean, it, it could go either way. But the reality is, Sean Alexander was really bent out of shape about the fact that they didn't give him the run so he could get the yard. But you know what I was thinking? If he just would have turned up field one time all season, if instead of running towards, and then when he was going to get tackled, falling down or pushing toward the sideline, if he would have just turned up field and gave it his best effort one time, he would have had that yard. 
And so you can look at your life as I didn't get that yard in the very last second of the very last game. Or you can be real with yourself and realize that you have that chance right now to catch that yard that you're going to need 20 years from now. Maybe for somebody else's life and salvation. Verse 28, 29. Verse 28, 29. Then Agrippa says to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but all else who can hear me today. The king wasn't ready. But how many other people in that room were impacted by Paul's message and his boldness? Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 through 14 says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So, so that it has become evident to the whole, pl- the, the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ and that most of the brethren in the Lord um, have become confident by my chains and much more bold speaking the word without fear. Paul in this moment in this scripture in, in Philippians is saying that the fact that he is bold in his chains still preaching Christ is encouraging those who are watching him to be bold in their preaching of Christ. Let's use Paul's example to be more confident in speaking the truth of God's word without fear. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23. Let us us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for for he who promised is faithful. My last point is this. Is Paul didn't take the easy way out. Paul didn't take the easy way out. In verse 32, the king says, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. We see two years, two years earlier in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, it says, but, following, um, but the following night, the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. The Caesar is in Rome. He hasn't made it there yet. But the Caesar's in Rome. And the Lord said, you've testified before the hostile crowd, the Jews in Jerusalem, right? He said before the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews are in Jerusalem. You already did that. He said, you will also testify in Rome, which are the Gentiles. And so uh, Paul appealed to Caesar, who is even more powerful and even less sympathetic to Paul's cause, But God had called him to this work. This was his mission and he knew it. Now this doesn't sound to me like deliver you from. It sounds to me like deliver you into. It's like, wait a second, God. You told me you would deliver me from the Jews and the Gentiles. And I kind of feel like we're going the opposite direction right now. Kind of feel like this isn't the direction that I thought we would be heading based on what you had told me before. This decision... Uh, to not take the easy way out doesn't make sense on paper. It's not rational. I would say that uh, Paul having the ability... So the king is basically saying, we could find him innocent. You could go home now, but you appeal to Caesar. You could leave. You're good. But Paul appealed to Caesar. It's a decision that doesn't seem rational. When you write it on on paper, you would say, why is this guy doing this? He clearly has his freedom at this point if he wants it. Why not go back to what was working before? This is the kind of conversations I have with myself. 
Why not just go back to what was working before? You were going from church to church. The brethren were being encouraged. You're writing letters from prison. You're in and out. Now you're standing basically like each day on the verge of death based on the whim of other people. You have the chance to go back to what you were doing before. Did did God not call you to that work that you were doing before? He did, right? He must have. So why are you here now doing this work? That was more predictable. It was more comfortable. It was reasonable. It was easier. Was it not meaningful work? It was meaningful, right? Go back to it. It'd be so much easier that way. Paul could have said, is talking to Caesar really my calling? Let's weigh the pros and cons. Paul didn't phone a friend. You know what my wife would say? My wife would say, well, what did the Lord say when you prayed about it? It's like, well, I was thinking, and I wrote it out, and I was thinking about it all day. And she's like, oh, that's really good. What did uh, the Lord say when you prayed about it? What did he say that you should do? Um, Now I'm in the fire department, and I just got promoted to captain in January. And so that is uh, well up into the leadership positions. I didn't want to be a captain. I didn't want to promote. I spent all last summer in just... The worst anxiety of my life was stomach aches over the fact that I felt like God was saying, you need to do this. And I was saying, there is no earthly good reason for me to do this. I don't, I don't want to do it. I told everybody, I'm not going to do it. I told my bosses, I'm not doing this. They said, no, we really think that you should do this. I'm like, I'm just not doing this. I have uh, plenty of excuses why I don't want to ever promote. I remember standing in the, in the um, apparatus bay at Station 11 with a couple other guys, and we were talking about how we were going to be in the 20-year club. We're just going to be firefighters forever, and he's going to be a battalion chief by the end of the year. So I guess we were all kind of lying to ourselves. But I had all these rational reasons why I didn't want to do it. Uh, I had all these rational reasons why the desk job that I just came out of was so much better for me. I didn't have all the risk factors of the job. The the cancer risk basically went away. I'm not going to get cancer from photocopied pieces of paper or touching my keyboard, printing up emails. I certainly wouldn't be exposed to the pandemic stuff just comes out of nowhere. Sometimes there's risks you don't even see coming. Um, wouldn't have to deal with my PTSD anymore. You know, you don't really have to deal with your PTSD if you're sitting at a desk uh, writing emails. Because at 5 o'clock, you just go home. But you're not out there in the fray wondering what's going to happen next, worrying about the safety of your people, wondering if anybody's going to get sick. I had all these reasons why, and I had lots of, I had several people I'd finally picked out that were definitely encouraging me that I don't have to do this promotion thing. But as soon as I decided I was going to do it, Um, I felt this whole sense of peace and calm. But then I still uh, had my back out plan. I had my way out, right? Because I haven't prepared for it. Clearly behind the curve. Clearly not qualified. So it's pretty easy. I'll probably fail. And then everybody can stop talking about it. I'll just fail the test. Everybody can stop saying, you should do this. And I'll just start saying, well, I tried. I tried and I failed. But that didn't happen, clearly. And we're at where we're at now. Um, common sense would have said, hey, focus on your church ministry. Why are you focusing on work stuff? Why did you just take a job that takes you, adds even more responsibility 
That takes you even further away from your mission trips and, and your all our stuff. I don't know why, okay? But who am I to question what the Lord has prepared for me? What am I supposed to do? Proverbs 16, 2 through 3. All the way a man... Um, all the ways uh, of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your works to the Lord, and um, your thoughts will be established. I'm not sure if Paul expected those years to go someplace different, uh, some way differently than just uh, what we've seen in the book of Acts. I don't know if he contemplated looking for an easy way out, uh, but he did trust in the promise that the Lord, that the Lord gave him, and you can too. Um, the mission may be hard at points along the way. You may try to convince yourself that um, what God has given you to do is over. It got too hard. God's given you a mission to do. Your work's not over, but you're convincing yourself that maybe the focus has changed. But be honest with yourself and be honest about your own motives. If, what, if that's what God's called you to, don't find a back door out of it just because it's hard. Don't make excuses for yourself. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to, the, uh, to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. These verses are here in the Bible for you to be encouraged because God knew that you were going to need it. So cling to these kind of verses and the words of the Lord. And as we close out today, I just want to say that Paul risked his life to give us, um, to, Paul risked his life and gave up his own comfort to preach the gospel. Verse 20, that they should repent and turn to God and do works benefiting repentance. As, as we finish tonight, I just want to encourage you, even at home, even wherever you're watching this from, that, that Paul gave his life for this, and Jesus gave his life for this, that you could be saved based on the truths that are in the Bible, that you would repent of your sins and call Jesus your Lord and Savior. Don't wait and think you're going to get one more yard in this thing. Let's do it tonight. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I just give you glory and praise. Lord God, I pray that your, your hands and your spirit would rest on those right now making the commitment to make you their Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus. I pray that your spirit and your power would uh, just get breathed in by those right now out there who are making, recommitting themselves to what you have for them, Lord God, and stop choosing the easy way so that they could choose your way, Lord. Lord Jesus, as we go from this place tonight, Lord God, I pray that you would go with us, that your healing hands would be upon us, that your spirit would encourage us, Lord God, and that we can never forget that you have promised to deliver us and you won't stop now, Lord. We love you so much in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for watching. Uh, share it on Facebook and, and see you Sunday, 10 a.m. Sunday, exactly where you're at now. So. Thank you. Thank you for watching the Faith and Victory live stream. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check us out online at faithandvictory.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and we'd love to connect with you there. If you'd like to financially support Faith and Victory Church's ministry, please text FAVC to 77977. God bless you and keep you. From the FVC Live Team.